there's nothing in the world quite like Rodeo Drive. I'm Bronwyn Cosgrave. Hello and welcome to Rodeo Drive, the podcast. This is a show about the creators of three world-renowned blocks in Beverly Hills, and that includes some of the designers of its most memorable windows. When I moved there in like 1977, I realized that the windows there have to function as a billboard, especially since even back then there was very little pedestrian traffic even in Beverly Hills. So you have to pretend that cars are pedestrians in a way. Simon Doonan, Faye McLeod, and Ansel Thompson have made window dressing into an art form accessible to all. Hear from them in a moment. But we'll start, as we always do, with a visit to Rodeo Drive and check in with Kathy Gohari of the Rodeo Drive Committee. Since March, Kathy has been helping business owners deal with the rise and fall and rise again of COVID-19 and the impact of the George Floyd protests, which led the stores to board up their windows for a short time. This week again, as we have discussed in the previous um, episodes, uh, the situation is pretty fluid. As of now, in the last few days, uh, we rolled back a lot of the openings in the business district. Uh, Indoor malls are closed, um, hair salons and nail salons closed up again. Um, And we are all basically trying to come up again with our newest edition of the new norm. Um, Our retail stores on Rodeo are open. They're open to the public. They're considered outdoor retail for whatever description that is. And for us, pretty much is business as the new usual. It must be tough, though, because as we've spoken about it before, it's businesses like the great hair salons of Beverly Hills, which do drive some of your traffic. Very much so. It's ambiance. You come and get your hair done, you grab a bite to eat, you do some window shopping, and you pick up a new pair of shoes. And it's a whole experience. I mean, you know, I've said this before, the entire shopping experience is something that is not just an errand you run. You know, we're not the errandy kind of stores. This episode on Rodeo Drive, the podcast, uh, is portraying uh, store windows. How have storefront windows evolved on Rodeo Drive after the last couple of months during the pandemic? I think, obviously, the last few months has been the most... um drastic change you have ever seen in the history of the street. Uh, We went from emptying out our storefronts to having empty stores um, to boarding them up to protect them from the protests and then to deboarding and setting our stores back up to what we consider the new norm. And a lot of people have, have gone above and beyond to really create a experience. In the past decade, there has been paintings that are worth millions of dollars just sitting there very casually, along with some fresh flowers and some um, expensive clothing. Um, There is medieval armored knights standing inside stores. Um, It's no longer about just putting a dress in the window and a mannequin in the window. Everybody has stepped up. Why is it no longer about just putting a dress or a mannequin in the window? Is it clients more discerning? 
expectations are higher. You know, it's the evolution. Again, people are looking for experiences and brands know what you're looking for. And it's our goal to feed your soul, not just try to, you know, sell you a pair of shoes or a bag, but to have you enjoy the experience. Um, we have people walking at night on Rodeo Drive when the stores are closed, and they basically walk up and down to enjoy the view. Truly at night, it looks like an art gallery. Yeah, I think Rodeo Drive is one retail enclave in the world where the art of window shopping or the pastime of window shopping is alive and well. And again, people are so, um, so in tune with our windows. I can't tell you how many times clients call me and say, oh, I drove by last night and you don't have this in the window. Or I drove by last night and I love what you did. Did you see what Gucci did? Did you see what Dior did? Constantly, they're extremely knowledgeable about the slightest change that takes place, which, you know, we like to keep them on their toes and give them the change. What was it like to board up those windows? Oh, I broke my heart, honestly. You know, we take such pride in making sure that every light is in the right place and every garment is in the right place. And it's two inches to the left and two inches to the right. And we wash our windows and we wash our awnings. And within hours, we were putting this, these boards up. We didn't even have time to paint them or, or cover them with some um, pictures or, or paint. It was literally, it felt like a war zone. It must have been a great feeling taking them down. Oh, my goodness. It was wonderful. Um, many of the stores had created um, opportunities to take all the discarded wood and donate it to different um, charities like Habitat for Humanity. So that all because can you imagine how many boards there were? from what, 70 plus stores in one day. And are there any stories you would like to tell us about great window designs on Rodeo Drive? I have to tell you my personal favorite. My personal favorite is uh, when we do things together. Many years ago, there was a Vanity Fair project on the street where all the windows had these amazing blown up pictures of uh, the most successful it person of the covers of Vanity Fair. And I have to say, I kind of missed that. That was really a very special, it almost felt like we were having our own red carpet event on the street. Wonderful. Kathy Gohari, thank you for talking to us. My pleasure. Anytime. Have a good day. Some people may still be a bit unsure about going back into boutiques on Rodeo Drive, but plenty of people are walking the three blocks window shopping. And in an age of online retail, Rodeo Drive is one place where the storefronts still put on a great show. Windows are an aspect of luxury shopping that is accessible to all. Take Louis Vuitton, for example. There's, there's some blue sky thinking in there. There's lots of blue skies and optimism. Blue skies and optimism and dreaming are kind of what you'll see in the windows next. That's Faye McLeod. She and her design partner, Ansel Thompson, are among the top window designers in the world. The blue skies refer to a design to be unveiled mid-August at Louis Vuitton, Beverly Hills on Rodeo Drive. Hear about their work for Louis Vuitton 
after our next guest, the man who literally wrote the book on window dressing. He's the author of Confessions of a Window Dresser. Okay, um, my name is Simon Doonan, and I am very old, and I've had multiple careers and incarnations. Um, For many years, I was a window dresser. I've always worked in retail. Um, For the last 25 years, I've been a writer. I've written eight books. You know, I still connect my connection with Barney's, but um, obviously that's gone away as of last January. This is the one and only Simon Doonan. He spent many years as creative director at Barney's New York and made their windows into the most talked about public art in Manhattan. I called Simon to talk about why storefront windows still matter in luxury retail. He took us back to the very beginning. Windows first came along at the beginning of the 19th century when they invented large plate glass windows. So the big emporiums that were in London and in lower lower um, Sixth Avenue in Manhattan in the Miracle Mile, they started to fill their windows with abundant product and people were mesmerized. It was like this um, river of product that people had never seen before. And they were visually intoxicating, like a hallucination of product of sheets and, and handkerchiefs and linens. And, and that's also at the time when they invented spotlights. So the two things happened together and the Industrial Revolution had fueled this financial growth. Bingo, you have these windows which become a very significant recreational um, obsession with people. And then cut to, you know, the 1970s, um, window display was very important. Like the key window dresses in New York were all celebrities like Robert Curry, Candy Pratt, Victor Hugo. They were considered to be very hotsy-totsy kind of, they were the people out about town. People would go and watch Robert Curry installing his windows at Bendel's. So windows still performed a very significant function. People did definitely buy what they saw in shop windows. And then now it's a different era. I think Most retailers are reaching out to their clients digitally. Um, Windows perform a sort of secondary marketing function. And um, I know you just interviewed Faye McLeod. I mean, I think she is very conscious of the fact that most people are seeing her windows on Instagram. And that's, I think, how many luxury customers will be viewing window displays. Louis Vuitton, I may never get over to see the various locations, but... I can see it on Instagram. So it's, it's changing, but it's still essentially display. Can you explain how Instagram changed the business of retail window design? Over the decades that I was at Barney's from the 80s, the windows played less and less of a, a significant role. They became a kind of fun way of, of augmenting the image of the company. They were no longer critical, you know, um, like uh, they, windows used to be the primary form of communication with the customer. You know, if you have a fishmonger, you put fresh fish in the window and people, it says fresh fish and you come in and you buy it. Um, windows used to be like that new collection come in, you put it in the window and you'd really see a bump in sales. But now uh, stores like Bergdorf's, Barney's, Sachs, they're reaching out to customers weeks in advance of I'm getting this in, I'm getting this in, and your size, shall I hold it for you? I think windows overlap with Instagram. 
because they're essentially very displaysy and they are not critical to the purchasing of clothing, but they, they drive a tremendous amount of sales, I'm sure. This is Simon Doonan. He grew up in Reading, a town near London. As soon as he could, he was off to the big city and dove into glam rock and then the punk scene. One of his first window dressing jobs was at Aquascutum. That's the British luxury brand known for its overcoats and for dressing the likes of Winston Churchill and later Margaret Thatcher. And I just went to work there in men's, doing men's. And that's where I learned one of the few skills in display, which is busting suits. That means taking a suit form and putting a suit on it and having it be perfect. It actually is quite skilled. It takes a few weeks to learn it, to do it properly and steam everything. And so it, basically it was a very stiff way of showing men's tailored clothing and, and boarding shirts. It was basically taking product and making it look like it was made out of cardboard. And then Giorgio Armani changed all that. He's the one that softened up tailoring and got rid of all those stuffy bus forms. And Aquascutum was a very old-fashioned store, but it had, they had a very groovy display designer called Michael Southgate. And so it was fun to work there, and I learned a lot. And bit by bit, I worked my way up, and then I, I worked at Turnbull and Asa for a while doing their windows. And then I did a lot of freelance jobs. Simon Doonan next worked for Tommy Nutter, the Savile Row tailor to Mick and Bianca Jagger, Sir Elton John, and the Beatles. A window display Simon conceived for Tommy Nutter was noticed by Tommy Purse, owner of Maxfield, a conceptual fashion boutique in West Hollywood. It was when punk rock was coming along, and at Nutter's, they always wanted the windows to be unusual. Like Savile Row was very conventional back then, so they wanted... Windows to be unusual. And so um, I remember I did one window for holiday with these tuxedos and I found these little stuffed rats that were like tax- taxidermy and I made little tuxedos for them. And uh, the owner of Maxfield, Tommy Purse, he happened to come into Tommy Nutters and he said, oh, did you do the window? It's great. You should come work for me. And uh, I remember I went home and said to my roommate, oh, some guy just offered me a job in L.A. And uh, my roommate said, where's that? And I said, I don't really know. Like, we were so feral and we were so young and feral. And British people didn't travel much then. So we were, only had a vague idea that, oh, it's in California or like surfing. I don't know. So I just sort of thought, oh, I'm going. And I packed a bag and just went. And um, that's how I got my green card. And, and I stayed in L.A. for like eight years. And then I got my job at the Metropolitan Museum working with Diana Vreeland. And that's how I came to New York. Backtrack to Maxfield's. Um, well, back then, Maxfield was next to the Troubadour in that block of Santa Monica. It was a very unusual store. He had vintage mannequins from the 30s, 20s and 30s with glass eyes. They were very sort of strange and creepy looking. And I did these strange, creepy looking vignettes. So the windows had a completely anti-luxury look to them. They looked very strange, more like a Keenholz art installation or something. When I moved there in like 1977, I realized that the windows there have to function as a billboard especially since back then there was very little pedestrian traffic, even in Beverly Hills. 
You know, it, was, it wasn't like it is now where you actually see crowds of people going down Rodeo Drive. So the windows, they're going to serve any function. They have to communicate to people driving past. So you have to pretend that cars are pedestrians in a way. So if you can get the attention of people at the stoplight on Wilshire and Camden and they stop and there's some arresting visual and they have to look, then you've done your job. So you joined Barney's in 1986. I wondered if you could look back at all that you accomplished and explain how your work at Barney's contributed to the art of window design. Gene Pressman, the owner, always said, I want Barney's to be like a Bauhaus. You know, so he had a whole bunch of very creative people. He had Paula Greif, Ronnie Cook, Newhouse, Glenn O'Brien, Doug Lloyd. All these people were working there when I worked there. So it was, he had this whole Bauhaus thing going on. And the windows, um, I said, I'm going to make them really fun and cheeky and sort of like Coney Island. I think that would be really fun thing to do, like take this incredibly exquisite edit of luxury product, but present it in a really fun, unpretentious Coney Island kind of way. So that's how I ended up doing things like a Tammy Faye Baker window. All the sort of conventional luxury presentation was happening uptown. And downtown, I thought we have an opportunity because Andy Warhol's a customer. Basquiat is a customer. These people were, Keith Haring was a customer. All these people were shopping at Barney's and we had all the Hollywood movie people. So I used to make lists of things that all the stores uptown did and decided, well, I'll never do that. You know, like windows typically are very pristine, very clean. I made a point of always doing very messy windows. Not all the time, but like very, very messy, sometimes with like trash all over the floor and stuff like that, because it was, it was the antithesis of what people expected in a luxury store. So it was about being really, really unconventional in a confined space, because then in the interior, Peter Marino's designing it, Andre Putman's designing it. You have these exquisitely designed interiors. But I thought, well, the windows, they're for the general public. They're not for the customers. Most of the customers fly in the front door and barely even look. They're for the people in the neighborhood. So they should be engaging and they should be communicative. You know, I was always thinking, who, what are people talking about? Who are the celebrities people are talking about? The last set of windows I did at Barney's was, I was amazed at the um, foodie movement. You know, how people were obsessed yes. with celebrity chefs and the expansion of, of the food network. And I'm not interested in that stuff, but I was interested in how interested people were. I was like, that's really incredible. Our customers are all obsessed with celebrity chefs. And, you know, so we did this whole foodie holiday and we had food fights with Emeril Lagasse and all the famous chefs. And it was a really funky, I'm very proud of that final set of windows. I was really inspired by your story in Town and Country, where you recounted your upbringing in an industrial town outside of London. And you were explaining that, you know, the windows at Christmas were really the only excitement then. And it was the sort of jolt of fantasy you needed in the post-World War II landscape. Can windows offer us this jolt of fantasy right now during the pandemic? If I had a store now, if I was still employed, I would put my emphasis on getting people into stores. 
So in other words, you're walking down the street, you're not stopping to look at an enclosed window display that doesn't oblige you to go into the store. You're looking through into the store and you see something extraordinary, um, which motivates you to enter the store. So I would create a different sort of scheme where you're not tantalizing people, but simultaneously allowing them just to stay on the sidewalk. Your windows at Barney's were famous for many reasons, one of them striking a socially conscious tone. How does a window designer do that right now with so much going on in the world? When I look at the, what's going on in the world, I'm uh, glad I'm not designing windows anymore because it is immensely complex. Like how do you appear to be sensitive to all the things that are going on and um, while also wanting to distract people and make them feel that, you know, life is hedonistic and fun. And as you know, it's like, it's a complex message to do both. I'm glad I don't have that challenge. I think it would be very complicated now. Simon Doonan was creative ambassador for Barney's New York. He is a judge on NBC's crafty competition show, Making It. He is the author of nine books, including How to Be Yourself, which will be published by Fiden in October. This is Rodeo Drive, the podcast. Now, if Simon Doonan was the king of window design in the 1980s and 90s, that crown now belongs to Faye McLeod and Ansel Thompson. They have spent the last decade styling windows for Louis Vuitton. Like Doonan, they were raised in the UK, McLeod in Scotland. She was working at Liberty Department Store in London. And it was maybe about 2003, I think. And I'd actually, I had went to this antique market in London and I'd bought 80 Swedish sleighs <laughs> and I wanted them to kind of go through the, the windows at Liberty, but like shoot through them and be like, go through the, the up from window to window. And it would just look like this swoosh of sleighs that kind of took you on this Christmas voyage. And I got the 80 sleighs delivered. And I was, I remember sitting in Liberty like, oh my goodness what do I do? And my friend said, oh, you should meet this guy Ansel. He's really amazing. <laughs> and I met Ansel and Ansel, I mean, it just is everything that I'm not. And it, it just are, are kind of, we complement each other beautifully, I think. Um, whereas I'll have these kind of crazy ideas that we can do and he's much more real and I would say calculated than I am. Um, so we sat down together and hatched out this plan and then we kind of cut all these sleighs up and we created these windows and then next thing I know we're kind of in in the store buying bags of salt and um, these glass beads that took the the sunlight um, during the day and then at night they lit up and that was the start of our, our journey and then I'd been approached for the job at Vuitton and I, I mean I never thought in a million years I would ever ever get a job with a French luxury brand so I kind of went for the interview not thinking that I would ever get it and I went for about I don't know like 10 interviews and then ended up getting the role and then Ansel wouldn't come with me and then eventually a year later um, we kind of got him to 
come for an interview, thinking he was coming for a freelance interview and ended up signing a contract. So, and we've been there like nearly 10 years. So it's been quite a journey. So what makes a window design by McLeod and Thompson so special? They have elevated the artistry of window display design. Often their installations feature no merchandise. Like Simon Doonan did at Barney's, they aim to infuse Louis Vuitton with a sense of cultural relevance. And they have done so by collaborating with the most important contemporary cultural figures. One of them was Yayoi Kusama, one of the world's most important contemporary artists. Her traffic-stopping window installations at Louis Vuitton in 2012 featured worm-like sculptures, which Kusama calls nerves. There were also floating flowers, Kusama's trademark red and white polka dots, plus a life-size model of the artist. In 2014, Faye and Ansel worked with Frank Gehry. They came out to L.A. to meet him. It was a really amazing journey that we went on. We kind of flew in to have the initial discussions and from the moment that we sat down to have that initial discussion, I think we left like maybe six hours later and we had like sketches and we just started this, just this amazing journey with Frank and it was quite life-changing actually for Ansel and I. How so? I've always said it's like one of the most amazing rooms in the world, the studio. It's full of all of his architectural models. It's a really amazing kind of open plan space and it's the most creative environment I've ever really come across. Frank was really excited to to collaborate which we were really taken aback by. He was he was really interested in the idea of being able to um, create something within a year rather than you know a building that may take 10 or more, or more years to conceive. You mentioned that it was a year. Was that a full year to conceive a concept and a design for the windows? It's quite a long time. The the windows that we developed with Frank, we displayed in both our kind of network stores and the Maison stores, Rodeo Drive being one of the one of the stores we would consider a Maison. Um, because the network uh, is about approximately 400, 400 and something stores, it's quite a large production run, so it really takes quite a lot of planning to produce that that kind of volume. Mm-hmm. With the Maison stores, they're a little bit more bespoke, a little bit more tailored to the individual architecture. So what did Frank Gehry ultimately conceive for you? Describe the idea, what it looked like. So the foundation was conceived of sales, so... Um, it was a continuation of this idea of sails under tension or full of air. Sails is in a sailboat. Sails is in a sailboat. Most of the shapes are triangular and they're bent and curved and they're a developable surface. So they basically can be kind of rolled out sheets of metal. Right. And we uh, used a kind of aircraft grade aluminium and Douglas fir structure to support them or to hang them, as it were. And yeah, it was directly linked to the architecture of the, of the foundation. Faye, was there a turning point in terms of the collaborations that you worked on, perhaps Yayoi Kusama? I would say like Yayoi Kusama was probably our first 
artistic collaboration where we had the idea and that we wanted to work with a female artist. We've kind of really been obsessed with um, Yuri Kusama's work and, and she'd lived in New York and we went out to meet her and uh, we got on really well and we sat in with her in her studio with her teams and she had a very focused vision as she does on what, what she wanted and how she saw it. Can you tell us about the reaction to the Kusama windows? People were like crowded outside and everyone's like, that was her, we saw her moving and people were really engaged with it. You had kind of nose prints against the glass and it felt very joyful. Can you talk to us about the craft behind these windows? I'm assuming you build models, but just tell us, you know, briefly, take us through, walk us through from start to finish, how these windows are typically achieved. So we'll obviously model make, but we'll start with um, sketches, drawings, uh, quite a lot of image research. It can be something that someone's found. Faye's really good at finding uh, objects in odd places. And then we'll really develop the the windows in a kind of digital way. So we'll build a, a very accurate 3D model. And there's often a bit of back and forth between the material in the physical world and the digital model. And then it goes from there, really. Faye, tell us about how you find objects in odd places. I kind of love flea markets and I love exploring different cities and finding little treasures along the way and things that we can turn into something or develop or we can cut up or that we can think about that can spark an initial idea and then develop it because we try to kind of really push our ideas because it's quite challenging to constantly come up with all all these different ideas so you kind of always have to walk around with your eyes open and if you find a little treasure like I kind of tend to um, buy things and then I'll live with them for a couple of years or something and then I'll be like there's an idea in that so my house is kind of like a little bit of a cabinet of curiosity, if I'm honest. Virgil Abloh joined Louis Vuitton as artistic director of menswear in 2018. Can you talk to us about working with him? Virgil's amazing to work with. He's like the ultimate collaborator. So he's got a really interesting vision for um, actually what luxury means and what it is now. But he gives you a lot of freedom to to come back with ideas. It's a very open discussion. Most of it's done, or a lot of it's done with um, a WhatsApp community where there's a lot of sharing of pictures or ideas. He's very open with his approach. Yeah, and a window's not just a window. You're kind of designing in the window and you're designing out the window. So he's kind of pushed it further um, with us. So we're having fun together, all of us. <laughs> In, in Rodeo Drive, like we created the, the giant rainbow man. And then the next one was the giant Octavian. Um, but yeah, we've been having lots of fun with uh, with Rodeo Drive, especially, and the sculptures. We've been trying to paint the world with something that's quite optimistic, really, I think. Yeah. Let's pick up on that word, optimistic. It's a very fraught time for retail. Um, how has COVID-19 impacted your work? 
I think that might be quite good to chat about um, the Rainbow Project we had while we were kind of in it. Because we were in London in our studios in Paris and we've got teams all over the world. So everybody was at different points of this. And so in London, we were seeing a lot of people were painting rainbows and putting them on windows. And it, it was kind of, it just felt really hopeful in a way, like these kids' drawings. So we had the idea to ask families in Viton if their kids would paint rainbows and we would put them in the windows. And because we wanted to really engage your community, like our internal community um, across the world. Or at least keep the kids busy. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we created all these kids painted rainbows everywhere, which was rather nice um, to see and to see all the kind of smiling faces looking at their colourful rainbows in the windows. Instagram launched in 2010. That's a year after you joined Louis Vuitton, uh, Faye. How did the Instagram phenomenon affect your working process? I think it took a while as it was quite niche, I would say, at the beginning. But now it's uh, a window in itself. And that's probably how we consider it is like when we're designing the windows, we'll think about Instagram and um, we really consider it. And, and I look at it as a window in itself. Well, I mean, your mobile phone becomes the, it has become a new window, really, isn't it? Mm. Your smartphone, it's a window in your hand. Faye, in 2010, your cabinets of curiosities, uh, window designs for Louis Vuitton New Bond Street, uh, really, I think, ignited the imagination of Mark Jacobs. He invited you to collaborate on the set designs for Louis Vuitton's blockbuster runway shows. You created the Louis Vuitton Express, which was a life-size recreation of a train station set up in a courtyard in the Louvre. Can you tell us about the set and how possibly working on Louis Vuitton's fashion show sets changed your approach to window design, if at all? Sure. I would say that working with Mark Jacobs and Katie Grand, I think it changed my approach. I think it changed it forever, really. When I think about that train show, I still remember the exact spot where I was and and the goosebumps that, that we got from it. And that was the first time, really, that we kind of looked and it was like, wow, we, we can really create outside of windows and inside of windows and still keep that craftsmanship um but it was really mark and katie that that really saw that potential and really believed in us really how has sustainability impacted your work well it's something that you that can't be ignored at all and um something we've been working really hard to get our heads around really whether that means changing what a window is or our design model completely at the moment we're we're spending a lot of time working out uh, sustainable ways to create things and reuse. So it's it's at the top of our agenda. With Viton, we've we've got a sustainability team. They've had they've had sustainability teams for over twenty years, and um, right now we're trying to work with integrating sustainability within the design of what we do. Um, and it's a really challenging um, thing to do. Like. We just did windows where we used um, ocean waste plastics for 
the fish in the windows. And we did windows last year where we used all of the surplus leathers and things for um, another window that we did. And we're recycling, we recycle a lot of our windows and also gift them. So Oh, to who? <laughs> just different people. Like some people a lot of the a lot of people write in for them. Like some one little girl that she wrote a letter to our CEO and actually to Mr. Arnaud and uh she really wanted one of the little dream catchers from last year. So to hang above her her bed. So Christmas windows with all the decorations and um, people have on their Christmas trees every year. The lockdown has prompted a new pastime for walking and cycling, particularly along Rodeo Drive. Do you think it has the potential to impact people's enjoyment of windows and possibly stimulate window shopping? I hope so. Face just got a new bike. <laughs> Me too. I, I got, got an a, electric bike. So did I. I've been really enjoying it because I can go around like London at night and look at everybody's windows. And yeah, I just cycle past them. Like, okay, because usually like with windows, it's it's like this three second rule. I always remember like reading about when I was reading a uh, Linda Fargo um, and Simon Dunan did an interview once and they said you've got to do a window and if you don't understand it in three seconds then it's not been a great window mm-hmm. um so i've been kind of going around london looking at everybody's everybody's windows um which has been really nice so yeah i really hope they're doing it in rodeo drive i think it's important though because there's been so much talk about digital just recently or in recent years and then everyone's been so connected digitally throughout lockdown but we live in a physical world and we've always, it's always been really important to us that, you know, what the windows do is that they kind of enhance the areas where, where they are. They're little bits of storytelling or theatre or a, a, a narrative of some description. So I think it's important that they're, that they're there. Faye McLeod is Visual Image Director for LVMH. Ansel Thompson is the Design and Art Director within the brand's Visual Image Studio. I'm Bronwyn Cosgrave. I look forward to sharing more Rodeo Drive stories with you on the next episode. Rodeo Drive, the podcast, is presented by the Rodeo Drive Committee with the support of the City of Beverly Hills. It is edited by Francis Anderton and Avishai artsy. Brian Banks composed the theme music. Livia Manduel, Callie McConnell, and Guthrie McCarty-Vashon are the production coordinators. The executive producer is Lynn Winter. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Rodeo Drive, the podcast. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, healthy, and wear a mask. Uh-huh.